evening from me, everybody. Lovely to see you, of course. Happy Father's Day, to whom that applies. And um, if you are a, ho a holiday maker, a tourist in Cheltenham who happens just to have found yourself here, as I was talking to somebody here this morning, and you thought you'd visit uh, Britain in flaming June um, and have a really lovely time, I'm so sorry, but I hope you're having a good holiday anyway. And um, I just sense as we're worshipping together, would you mind, uh, I'm not great when people like me at the front tell you to do something, so opt out if you want to, but you might do yourself a favour just to take a couple of really deep breaths. I just sense the Lord maybe nudging us in that direction. A couple of really deep breaths in, just as you might do. Go. There's something about the physical, isn't there, that mirrors the spiritual. And if I have a sense, one sense of what God might be wanting to do, he always wants to do lots of things that I've no idea about uh, tonight, it would be the spiritual equivalent of what you've just done. When we take a big deep breath into our lungs, my biology is useless, correct me afterwards, but there's something, for a start, you kind of, it lifts your whole frame, there's something about you know, posture, being more alert. There's something about being strengthened. There's something about taking oxygen that moves into our bloodstream. There's something about being more awakened. And I think in the spiritual sense, God wants to really inject us with some confidence. We always need confidence as believers, don't we? Because the enemy is always looking to sort of dampen us down and fear gets in and the world and all that stuff. So there's something about confidence, holy confidence. I also think it relaxes you. So there's something about peace at the same time. Uh, there may be other things, but confidence and strength and peace. And if that's where you're at, that's your prayer for yourself in your spiritual life, wherever that's at, wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, then I just believe there's an injection of that. And going back to Andrew's picture earlier of the cake and the way that that image sits, I guess the equivalent is, do you want just to take a little bit and run out of here at the end and go, well, I had a little bit. I, I, I took a little bit. I came to that funny place, Trinity, on Sunday evening, and I, and I had a bit of a nibble and off I went again. And that was fine. That was, that was good for me. Uh, and it's not for me to persuade you otherwise, of course. But the encouragement, I think, always, and from that picture, is that there is always more. Uh, and God is a, is a huge God. He loves us so much. And, and his desires for us, uh, we can't even get our heads around it. And I just think that if we could continue to put ourselves in that place, the spiritual equivalent of taking deep breaths, we will leave here, even tonight, in a, a better place than we could ever have even expected. Uh, and that's not because of anything I'm going to say, but I just believe that God is good like that. So, amen. Um, I have had the huge privilege in the last couple of days, uh, courtesy of the, the great value, Mr. Ryanair, who makes it easier to travel on a plane to Vienna, Austria, than to take a train to Oxford and back for the same money. So uh, we've had the great privilege of doing that for two days with a posse of others from here. And, uh, and Mr. Airbnb as well. Thank you for him or her, whoever. And um, um, Mike and Caroline Darbandi are still there. And we've connected with something called, uh, we took a couple of days leave, we've connected with something called Awakening Europe. Some of you will be familiar with that. You may have, if you're on Instagram, you might have seen some of their posts. I just want to share something because it does lead into where we're, where we're at tonight. Um, Awakening Europe, I mean, what a great title in itself. The sense of a bunch of people over the years, recent years, who have come together, no particular tribe or denomination, just a bunch of people with a vision to see our continent revived in Christian faith. There'll be a few pics on, on, the, on, on the screen here. So this is Vienna this year. They land in different nations, and I could talk for the, all of my allotted time on this, so I'll try and keep it precise. Uh, so a gathering, yes. A conference, not really. Uh, so, some worship, absolutely together. But for months now... Uh, Viennese Austrian believers have been preparing and praying together. This has brought the churches together in the most extraordinary way. And uh, obviously internationals invited, so we kind of bolstered the sense of significance and numbers, but it was a little bit like dropping into somebody else's event where they are believing for a move of God in the Austrian nation. 
uh, in the most extraordinary way. And it's part conference, part street outreach. So we've been out on the streets talking to people. They speak brilliant uh, English, mercifully. My German uh, doesn't get much beyond um, das Flugzeug fliegt in der Luft. Why do, why do you remember funny things like that? The aeroplane flies in the sky. Very useful phrase. It's the only one I know. And, um, and so, so out on the streets, just, uh, just encountering people, being polite, of course, and saying, would you like to come to this thing tonight? A bit of an old-fashioned rally, in a sense, and then in the evenings, people speaking the gospel uh, and praying for people. And I tell you, the, um, the, the, the uh, emotions associated with seeing scores, hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of people uh, invited into this gathering, and then at the invitation uh, of those at the front, at the invitation of Jesus, as Andrew would say, making their way to the front to surrender their lives to Jesus. Utterly, utterly compelling. I think there's a bit of a film, actually, Nick. You could just play it as I just ramble for a little bit, just turn the volume down a bit on this. So this was just from my particular perch, 15,000 people there, this indoor stadium, and all of these people making their way. This side, there's plenty of the far side from all the... And so on, just making their way, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They reckon something, uh, just, just less than 1,000 so far... Uh, the event is on as we speak. This is happening now. It's 7 o'clock here. It's 8 o'clock there. That's going on again uh, this evening. The Chancellor of Austria, that is to say their president, is there today. Uh, he's not a Christian man, but he's got a Christian lady on his cabinet, uh, and she's a believer, full-on believer, and she thought, you need to see this. And so she, uh, he was there this morning. I believe he's there again this evening. Mike can confirm that later. And so uh, God is doing extraordinary things, and uh, there's two and, just two and a half million people in Vienna. There's only eight million in the whole of Austria. So what happens in Vienna as the capital city has a massive impact on the whole nation. So friends, I just want to say, let, let's be so encouraged by this. Let's just be so encouraged at, at moves of God. Where did it start, by the way? Of course, where does anything start? In prayer. A bunch of people on their knees getting a vision for, God, you need to do something. We can't do it, but you can. Will you help us? Churches getting together, people on their knees over a period of time. And we need to be uh, praying for them and continuing to pray. I had this phrase, Hills used it recently, God is powerful when his church is prayerful. God is powerful when his church is prayerful. Of course, he's powerful all of the time, but there's a particular relationship with the way that we pray and the way that his power then gets expressed. And so I just think this is extraordinary. Here's a, a little testimony then from uh, two days ago, I think, on the streets. Uh, this is one of the team, after the team, one of the people there. After the team performed, shared the gospel on the street, I asked this guy next to me his take on the, on the message. And his response is, well, I don't believe in any God. So I told him my testimony about the reality of the love of Jesus. And he said, well, if I could encounter with a Jesus like that, then I would give my life to him. And then I got a word from the Holy Spirit about his hip being in pain, which he confirmed and he allowed me to pray. And all of the pain immediately left him. And he said, well, I felt Jesus or something all over my body just now healing me. And he was in awe. And he shared the gospel. They continued to have a conversation. He said, well, yes, I will. I'm going to start a journey with Jesus. I give my life to Jesus because I've now encountered him for real. So he did that. He prayed that right there and then surrendered his life to Jesus. And in his prayer, he said, may I go and introduce others uh, of Jesus, as Wade did with me, others to Jesus, as Wade did with me. He then found his mum and told her how Jesus had come to him a few minutes ago and what he had done. She had wrist braces on. They were at a 10 in terms of level of pain, 0 to 10 to 10 being high pain. Her son and I prayed twice as she then got healed herself, and we shared the gospel with her, and she too began a journey with Jesus. Austria shall be saved. And again, story after story. 
It really does something to you, I tell you. And, and story after story of this, and, and uh, people just being gripped again, as I have been, it would be my testament, I've been gripped again in a fresh way. God's really challenged me, he's really spoken to me. Uh, and of course, this all ties in with where we're at at the moment in our, in our uh, series, in, our, in the way that we're thinking, in the way that we're being encouraged, in the way that we're encouraging one another, uh, that this is really at the heart of, of our assignment, isn't it? Hill told the story uh, in the morning two or three weeks ago, so I, I'm guessing not many have here heard it, and I'll tell it really, really briefly too, of our, one of our own stories. Back, back about 20-something years ago, a couple of years into our marriage, Hill's mum was in for an operation. In the course of the operation, it was discovered that she had a tumour in her uh, ovaries and ovarian uh, cyst, or ovarian tumour, the size of a small grapefruit, and they said, um, if we do nothing, you've got weeks and months, if we do some chemo, it will prolong your life, and if it goes well, it could, you, know, you could do quite well. You, you might be into a handful of years. And of course, we were devastated and shocked and, and, and prayed our best prayers. And um, remember the sadness, the disappointment of going to our life group. And, and they were very kind and very um, sympathetic and wanted to support us. But it was so sad that nobody actually prayed, joined us in praying for the healing of, of Hill's mum. Anyway, we continued over six months to pray while she was having chemo and we fasted and so on. At the end of uh, the chemo, they went back to, she went back to the, the docks and they did a serve, um, what do you call those things, a scan. Uh, to find that there was actually no trace at all left of this tumour. There was just none, which was not one of the options that they'd been expecting, and they couldn't really account for it, but uh, you know, put it down to mysterious whatever. And you might imagine that in the, in the face of something extraordinary like that, an amazing sign, wonder, miracle, uh, that my mother-in-law would have, would have ha- had the similar reaction to the person on the street a couple of days ago in, in Austria and go, well, God's healed me, this is amazing. She didn't at all. She didn't say that. She never really referred to it like that in any supernatural term. She didn't really talk about it. She never really talked about her, where she stood in, in matters of faith, particularly, or her relationship to God, um, which was a little bit of a mystery to us, although we're obviously tremendously pleased that her, her tumor had been healed. And about um, two or three weeks before she died, Hills had the incredible, so this is 20 years later, Hills had the incredible privilege of of bringing her, of leading her into relationship with Jesus, because she was ready for that. And she did testify that somewhere, somehow, what had happened uh, nearly 30 years previously had had some kind of impact on her. She didn't, couldn't quite work out how, uh, but she was ready at, at this moment here to give her life to Jesus. She had prayed in her own way that she would live long enough to see grandchildren and was incredibly grateful that that had happened. So this theme of how... We relate to those who do not yet know anything of the love of God. Uh, and uh, it might be a moment, by the way, we've been in this theme for a while, haven't we? Just to, in brackets to ask ourselves, how, how are we doing? How's it going? What, where are you at with that if you've been in and around Trinity for the past few weeks and you stand back? Is, is, is anything different? Is your prayer life different? Are your desires different in any way? Has anything different happened in your life? Have you expressed that in any different way? And that's not me, you know, to kind of wanting to, to bash us over the head, you, you know that's not my style. God never, ever does that. So if anybody like me does it, it's not God, okay? But a uh, good moment to reflect. How are we doing? Do, are we reading some of the encouragements over there uh, around this theme of, of growing greener? Uh, and, and if we're not, why not? Or, or are we just feeling deeply insecure and very fearful and uh, guilty and, and all of that stuff? That's not God either, okay? That is just so not him. We need to be encouraged. So uh, we're still in this, in this theme, and we will be for some time, because it matters so, 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 so much. It's not just a, a theme, is it? It's, it's, it's core to who we are. Carries some challenge, of course it does, uh, but we, we don't um, 
want to diminish or downplay it in any way. And, and the focus tonight, we, th- th- there are thousands of ways, aren't there, in which as who we are, we, we, we get to bring and to be good news in our world. Of course, there are when we're focusing on a whole variety of them. Tonight, the, the spotlight falls a little bit, actually, though, on the supernatural. It forms, falls again on signs and wonders and the place of those things in the way that we relate to the world um, around us, because that's the passage that we're in. Happily, it features a dad on Father's Day, which is great. So uh, John 4 is where we are, and if you want to follow it, it's on the screen or in the Bibles that you have in your hand or on your device. John 4. I'm just going to read from a few verses before, actually, the main episode here. From 39, because what comes before our passage, our passage begins in about 43, uh, but... Jesus has been traveling through Samaria. Do you remember? And remember that story where he goes and has a great conversation with a woman at a well who's collecting water. And uh, he reads her mail. He gives what's called words of knowledge. He, he, he describes things that he could only have known by revelation about her. She shares them. The whole village get excited about what's happened to her. They start talking. They listen to her. They invite him to stay, Jesus to stay for a few days. And as you can read there, because of his words, verse 41, many of them became believers. We'll come back to what that word means. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They've heard stuff. They've heard words. They've seen evidence of his words acting and coming to, they're coming to believe who he says he is and putting their trust in him. And after those two days, he left for Galilee, which remember is his own home region, right? Nazareth is in Galilee. That's home region for him. John adds, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet like him has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Strange juxtaposition. What's going on here? Those two things contradict each other. We'll come back to it. But they had seen these people from his home region. They had seen in Jerusalem at the Passover festival all the things that he'd done there. They'd been there. And once more he visited Cana in that region where he'd turned the water into wine. Great story. We love that one. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. That's about 20 miles uh, walking, obviously, um, no Uber then. And begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him... And he's actually referring to the whole crowd, you people, not just this guy. You will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word, love that phrase, and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. I'm a dad, as you know. Uh, I've not, thank God, had a son who's near to dying, but as every parent has, you have some crisis moments. You have those moments. I remember one was one of our sons, I think it was Josh, he was very badly scalded by some water all over his chest and was in extreme pain. It was an urgency. It was a crisis. If you're a dad or a mum in those moments, you will do virtually anything to get help, right, for your, for your child. You, you're not quite sure what to do or you do your best, but you know you need the help of somebody else. We get a little bit of that desperation, don't we, in, the, in this man here. 
his dad, he's royal official, he's got some status, he's got access to resources in his day, but his kid is dying. He's desperate. He's heard about this rather strange guy, some sort of rabbi, 20 miles away. He's done some stuff. People are talking about him. He's even, I think he might have healed some people. Maybe we could get, I, I'm just gonna, I'm going I'm to go for it. 20 miles makes his way there. I don't know who you are really, not sure. I've heard some stories, but you need to come. I need help. I'm desperate. Jesus appears to answer him rather rudely. We'll come back to that bit too. Doesn't do what the man asks. But the guy appears to trust him anyway. Somehow, musters enough trust. There's something about this interaction which gives the man enough conviction to do what Jesus said, which is to go back. And as he goes back, he finds that Jesus is right. Takes him at his word. And uh, the son is healed at exactly that time. And it changes the man's life. One of those many stories, by the way, that won't you enjoy getting to heaven one day and picking up all of these people who only feature in a couple of verses in the Bible and you want to say, what happened? What happened next? What, you know, how did it work? Tell me more. We only get the kind of summary version. Uh, this is for sure one of those, but we're, we're assuming the man's life changed and those in his whole household as they begin to put their trust in Jesus. And John calls this a sign. Probably familiar with that. Verse 54, he says it's a sign. So our question again tonight, what role do signs like this play in our lives, the way that we relate to others. Massive subject, of course, so just a few headlines, highlights, observations from, um, from this passage here. First, amazing revelation. You'll never believe what I'm going to tell you in this. A sign is a sign, right? What happened tonight at Trinity? Well, the preacher said, you know, a cat is a cat. A sign is a sign. Um, Hills and I will be uh, traveling on the motorway again through France eventually for a family holiday uh, a bit later in the summer. And uh, one of the things I love, I love all, everything about France actually, but driving down, is anybody uh, f- familiar with France remember the brown tourist signs? You get these great signs on the auto route. Uh, and they're, they're quite nicely designed. Oh, there's one there, look. And, and it kind of tells you what uh, you are going past and it draws attention to uh, what is available to be seen and that you might miss unless you... Uh, see the sign. They point to something. Clearly, that's what a sign is. It points to something that is more significant than it. No great revelation there. But the Bible, and John especially, refers to the kind of incident that we've just read, doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't he? As signs and wonders. Signs, because they point to something more significant than them. Wonders, because they make us wonder. They make people wonder, who is Jesus? What's he about? Is this, how is this possible? And in John in particular, this happens. And he provides a little bit of commentary in various places. So actually, a couple of chapters previously, when the first thing happened, the first sign, as he called it, John 2, he said, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, that's the water into wine, was the first of the signs through which Jesus revealed his glory. In other words, something, glory is a tough word, but something about who he is and what his nature is. And his disciples, as a result, believed in him. And then then again at the end of the gospel, you might be familiar with this, in John 20, he says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, and they're not written here. Shame. Why not, John? But these ones are written, because it's all I had time for. I wanted to get my book out quickly. These are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, this is so key, you may have life in his name. In other words, reader, I've told you a bunch of amazing stories. They're all true. I saw them all. They're all first-hand encounters. 
these extraordinary things that Jesus did, primarily so that you would come to know and believe who this man is, his true identity as the Son of God. And as a result of knowing that, a bit like the chairs that you're sitting on right here, right now, you would put your full weight in terms of believing and trusting and giving your life, resting your whole life in faith on this person of Jesus, on the, as you do on the chair. And then do what? Receive. By doing that, receive what God your Father longs to give you, according to this verse, which is life. Shorthand for a whole package of things. What would you want to put in that package? Forgiveness. Just celebrated communion. Pinnacle of what Jesus has done for us. Rescue. Pulling us out of death into life. All that goes with that. New purpose. New uh, destiny, new way of being in the world, new fresh love for people, security, acceptance, a sense of who we are, what we're made for, all of that and more. Primarily even the sense of being loved, first need of every human being on the planet, yours right now, your prime need is to know love. All of that is encapsulated by this. So these signs really matter, said John, because that's what they're, they're pointing to. And it's not just I agree, I, I disagree, I accept, I don't accept. When we're talking belief, we're not talking that, are we? We're, we're talking faith, not so much I, I believe God exists, I don't believe. It's faith in the nature of this God. Not whether he's sort of who he is or, or not, but what kind of God is he? When we think about faith, don't think of, of it as that disconnected thing. Faith is about the nature, what we believe about God. Don't say you're just a believer. A believer in what? A believer in what kind of God? Well, frankly, the kind of God who is kind and compassionate enough to, sick, to heal sick boys. The kind of God who is compassionate and loving enough to, to, to heal and release, uh, cleanse people from leprosy the world's, the, 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 in that society, the worst affliction that you could have. The kind of God who's so fun, he wants weddings to go really, really well and doesn't want the host to be embarrassed by running out of, of wine. All of that. Signs point to that kind of God. And the, and the possibility then of relationship with him. It's why people like Robbie Dawkins, if that name is familiar to you, he's been in this church a few times, New Wine and so on, many of you know, and, and he's, a, he's a crazy evangelist, the kind of guy who does all that stuff on the streets. And, he, and his phrase is always, God is so loving and kind, he's going to heal you. God's got power to heal you. And when he does, it's because he wants you to know that he loves you and is inviting you into relationship with him. Not disconnecting what Jesus does from who he is and what he wants. So miracle is a sign that points away from itself. Sign is a sign. Of course it is. And the greatest miracle, by the way, is, the, is new birth. It is being born again. That phrase may not sit easily with some of us. I understand that. But that is the Bible's word, so we're not going to apologize for it. That is the greatest miracle. Of course it is. How can something that is dead become alive again? Born again literally means that. We're born spiritually dead. We need to be born again. We need to come alive. And, and that is and remains, of course, the greatest miracle that can ever happen. And here, here are signs which are signs towards that and putting faith in Jesus. Number two, sign is, is also more than a sign, though. My comparison with the French motorway breaks down here because uh, if I just got out and admired the sign, that would be a bit weird, although they are very pretty. Um, 
The signs there in the Gospels are, are, are more than that, actually. They are important in themselves, really important to get this. They're not just optional extras that make the story a bit more entertaining or they make Jesus just a bit more impressive or a bit more attractive and kind of catch the, catch the eye. They are, after all, wonderful miracles, really amazing, extraordinary, full of wonder. And sure, in this case, the healing of the sick boy did go on to cause the dad to put his full weight onto Jesus as his saviour, recognising who he was, and indeed his whole household. It was amazing. But in itself, it's also an act of great love and compassion, isn't it? There's a boy who's dying. Jesus loves everybody. He wants to step into that situation. It's more than just a sign. Lepers got healed. The water got changed into wine. A dead man gets raised to life, comes skipping out of a tomb. 5,000 hungry people get fed. With a, with a boy's picnic. Some blind men get to see. Some deaf people start hearing. Would that, is that just to prove something? Only because this is some evidence to kind of establish the fact that God is, that Jesus is, is, is the Messiah? No. It's because he's loving. He's compassionate. Full of it. The motive behind everything that Jesus does, remember, we're considering this a few weeks ago. I was, I think, with the evening crowd. It is compassion. Everything that he does comes from a heart of compassion. So these signs and wonders and miracles that he does, they come because he's compassionate. He sees need and steps into it. Every need that came to him, he met in this way. We would love for um, my mother-in-law to have come to faith in Jesus 27 years ago when we prayed for her healing. That would have been great for her to move into relationship with Jesus at that point. It wasn't actually the only reason that we did it. It was because she was in great pain. She was dying. She would be dead unless she was healed. We love my, grand, my, my mother-in-law. So out of compassion and love, we, we prayed. We wanted her to stay alive, and so did she. So if, by the way, we ever get into that mode of uh, signs and wonders and with any other motive than love and compassion, we're not doing what Jesus did. We're not following Jesus in that sense. This isn't for personal advantage or for getting a reputation as holy people and not through fear, not to make the pastor please, not to impress people, not as a tactic. That's horrible, isn't it? A tactic in evangelism. No, not a strategy. No, absolutely not. Or even trying to prove a point. Absolutely not. A sign is more than a sign. It's also an act of love and compassion. Third, very quickly, this one. Not everybody who sees, and pretty obvious, not everybody who sees or receives a sign comes to Jesus. I've just told you about my mother-in-law. Plenty of other examples all through the Bible. Lots of them. The man in this story does, but countless people have witnessed the miraculous work of God and haven't. You can think of your own examples in the Scripture. Let me just remind you of one. Miracles don't come much more impressive than an entire ocean parting in order to let you go through it. That's quite impressive, frankly, with an army behind who want to mash you to pulp. And, uh, and God opens the way for the Red Sea. And you go through it as the people of God. And it closes over your enemies behind. You have seen a pretty impressive act of God right there. And what happens a couple of minutes later? They're complaining. It was better off where we were. That we're hungry. Celestial couscous dry, arrives on their heads for the next 40 days. And when they're short of protein, some birds drop out of the sky, but still they complain. Extraordinary, isn't it? Turn their backs on God, start worshipping idols. 
There was a guy, I think I might have told this story, about 18 months ago, I was in Acosta and had the, the great privilege of praying for somebody, and uh, he was in great pain. It was his hip as well, and in that moment, he was also instantly healed. Did he come to faith in Jesus at that moment? No, he didn't, actually. Uh, and as far as I know, still haven't, although we've kept up a dialogue. Um, I, I took his contact details, and I heard from him just last week, and he's still on the search. He's still investigating, so we're praying, but it didn't happen straight away. Not everybody who sees a sign comes, of course not. But next, some people get saved, come to Jesus only on the basis of a sign. Again, find plenty of examples through the scriptures. That is the thing that brings them into relationship with Jesus. Think Saul, for example, Paul. Think the jailer in Philippi. Remember him? There's, uh, he's, he's listened all evening to Paul and Silas singing their, their praise worship songs whilst chained in, in, the, in the prison that he's supposed to be guarding. Then there's this divine earthquake that kind of loosens everything and all the prisoners flee. Paul and Silas don't because why would they need to run away when there's a guy here who's going, what on earth is going on? I'm going to have to kill myself or something. And he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? And he asked Paul and Silas because they seem to be the ones who know what's going on. And, and of course, he leads... The, the jailer directly to faith, and all of his household, by the way, too, who then get baptized. Signs and wonders play their part for sure. Interesting, I don't know if you, you're somebody who reads testimonies, what God is doing around the world, really want to encourage that in a great many Muslim countries at the moment, even more, in my experience, than has happened in the past. Many, 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 many Muslims are coming to faith through dreams, uh, and in particular, the dreams of the man in white who appears to them. Uh, and uh, presents himself as Jesus. Amazing number, miraculous signs, wonders that are causing people to come. Next, signs are not second-class or optional extras. They're not something that's kind of nice to have, but not really necessary. So we need to draw attention to this slightly tricky thing that Jesus says in the story. Uh, And Andrew spoke brilliantly about this this morning, by the way, so I'd encourage you as a compliment to to my message to to listen to his as well. I'm not going to dwell quite so much on this, but verse 48, 48, Jesus says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, as always, friends, we need to take care with how we interpret something like that because we don't get the full explanation of what Jesus meant. We don't get the tone of voice. We weren't there. We're not sure. So however, we need to take into account context and other similar things in the scriptures because scripture doesn't contradict itself. But I wonder if you detect in that, is there some implied criticism in here? Many scholars have seen that. Many people have thought, is there some criticism here, some implied criticism? You really ought to believe without signs and wonders. But I can see that you need them to help you kind of move in that direction. So a little bit optional, extra, second class, Oh, you people, honestly. You, you, unless, unless you see something. Or is it just a statement of fact? Is it actually you, for you people? And by the way, he's talking to a crowd. Actually, unless you see signs, you won't believe. Is it just a, a clear statement of fact? What is it? Or something else, some other interpretation. Well, there's a few other places where Jesus says something similar to this. You may be familiar. Matthew 12. We'll just land on that one. I've got a bunch of examples. Probably not quite time. Matthew 12 uh, is interesting. Jesus has been doing quite a few signs. Verse 9, he heals a man with a withered arm on the Sabbath, by the way. So dramatic healing uh, on the Sabbath. Verse 15, a couple of verses later, we're told he healed all who were ill. Then, verse 22, Matthew 12, he heals a demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute. And he healed him completely. He released him from the demon. He opened his eyes so he could see. He opened his ears so he could hear. So these things have happened. Verse 9, verse 15, verse 22, verse 38... All in the same episode, the Pharisees come to him and ask for a sign. 
interesting. <laughs> Hello. I think something similar is going on there, as is going on here. The context tells us in the Matthew passage, and Jesus says, by the way, it's an evil generation that asks for a sign. It cannot mean, and in my view, absolutely does not mean that signs are a bad thing or a second-class thing or an optional thing or no longer a necessary thing or something that we shouldn't go after. That is a horrible interpretation. He says himself many, many places that signs matter and we're to go, go after them. We'll come back to that. The mindset that he's confronting there, certainly, where the Pharisees were present, in the midst of him doing a whole bunch of signs because he's loving and compassionate, is a mindset that wants to be impressed by a display of power rather than a heart that is moved with compassion. In my view, that's what's going on there. And I think it's a similar mindset that's going on in Galilee. They welcomed him according to the text, but Jesus has already said, I'm, I'm not honored in my own territory. In other words, their welcome doesn't seem to be totally genuine. There's a, there's a lack of depth to it here. They too seemed to be after something that Jesus would do, perhaps for them. Would you impress us? Would you enhance our reputation as being the guy from the local area? He's one of ours, don't you know? Look, Come and see our miracle worker. That kind of thing, or maybe something else. This is all interpretation, but it is mine. And there will always be potential, won't there? For seeking God's power, going after signs, wonders, miracles, all of that stuff, for dodgy reasons, dodgy motives. You don't need me to tell you that. Of course that stuff exists, always has, always will do. But friends, we need to be really careful about that. The answer to abuse, that is abusive. To, to go after signs and, and wonders for dodgy motives, for wrong reasons, to, to enhance my reputation, to draw attention to myself, to gain personal advantage, to please somebody, to impress somebody, whatever, whatever, whatever. That is abuse, right? Certainly it's misuse. But the answer to abuse or misuse is not no use. Baby bathwater stuff. Because there's a bit of froth around, because there's a bit of bad motive around, because there's a bit of dodgy stuff associated with this miraculous stuff, we ain't touching that. No, the answer is right use. The answer is to anchor ourselves firmly in the scriptures and to do what Jesus tells us to do and to lean in. And sure, we need to learn and grapple a lot more than we probably have done already. And we need to be equipped and we need to be trained and we need to have our confidence grow, for sure. We need to remember that God's power is always motivated by love, always brings a redemptive touch that transforms something. Always a broken body, a broken heart, a broken mind. Are we hearing that tonight, by the way? God's touch will always bring a redemptive touch to something that is broken in some way because he's loving and, uh, and his power and his love are expressions of the same thing. Broken body, anybody got one of those? Anybody know anybody with one of those? Broken mind, how about that? Anybody know anybody with a broken mind? Broken heart in different ways, dysfunctional, as we all are. But we... So the stuff about uh, being motivated by something else, that's just the religious spirit at work. It's the attitude which, if you've seen Jesus Christ Superstar, it's, it's Herod say, walk across my swimming pool. Turn on the tricks, Jesus. We're not interested in that. But we don't throw baby out with bathwater. Signs are not second class. Lastly, uh, be quick with this one. They are for today. They are for now, not just then. And I don't think I need to persuade anybody of that, actually, in, in this room particularly. And we've spoken about it so often here. It's part of our DNA. It, it's being tagged, isn't it? Uh, Hills was speaking again a couple of mornings ago. And, uh, and she put it like that. It's like tag. Remember that old game? You're, you're it now. Jesus does the stuff. 
goes back to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, says, wait, you're going to do the stuff, but you need to wait. Don't try and do the stuff without me. Me represented by, me in the, in the form of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I can only be in one place at one time. Holy Spirit, every, all places in all time. So wait, 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 wait. Don't you dare start trying to do any of this without me. As if we could do anything, miracles or anything else, frankly. But when he comes, get full of him, keep on getting full of him, and go do the stuff. In fact, you'll do greater things. You'll do the same stuff. You'll have access to the same things I did. The Holy Spirit, kingdom of God, it's the kingdom manifesto. We, 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 we talk around this so often. And I don't think I need to persuade you. We owe the world encounters with Jesus. And if we are accurately going to represent who Jesus is, which will mean operating out of love, first of all, with integrity, in purity, out of compassion, but with power, it is simply irresponsible of us to set aside the supernatural power bit because it's too, too tough or too wacky or we've been too disappointed because it doesn't seem to work very often or because... We're going to lower the bar because it's just a bit easier. That this is, we're made in the image of God. This is hardwired into our DNA, friends. And so in my opinion, it is only taught out of us or disappointed out of us. It's in us already. We're made in the image of God. So if we're not believing in the, in, that we are commissioned to be in Jesus' uh, ranks and, and calling on his power and, and exhibiting his power, uh, in, in our witness to others, then it's because it's been taught out of us or it's been disappointed out of us because we haven't seen enough of it and we just we lower the bar because we go, honestly, it's just too hard. And frankly, it's easier. It's easier to make some excuses. It's easier to take Scripture and just try and find reasons not to believe exactly what it says because then it reduces it to the level of my experience and then I'm not, to, not quite so challenged. I'm not quite so discomforted by this. I hope we're hearing this. My own journey, by the way, in the last two, two or three years, and I'll, I'll close in, in a second, um, is that the more we become secure in who we are in Jesus, the more we understand the love of the Father, the more that becomes our ground zero, the more we manage to kill the religious parrot. If you remember my friend from several talks that I give, uh, and I've, I've been familiar with the religious parrot that says, you can't do that. What makes you think you could do that? That's for other people. That's for Robbie Dawkins and, and others. That's not for you. What, what makes you, you know, that, that religious parrot that says, no, don't, don't think that signs and wonders are important. They're, they're for others. Or you failed so often, why do you think you're going to succeed? All of that stuff, the self-condemning stuff. The more we kill those, kill those voices, it's a demonic voice, by the way. The more we believe truth, the more that becomes who we are. The more, frankly, secure we are. We can cope with challenge. I stand before you as somebody who can now cope much more easily with a high bar here not watering down what Jesus said. He said, go heal the sick. He said, cast out demons. He said, raise the dead. Talk about a high bar. <laughs> and an old version of me would have cowered and would have wanted to find some reason to lower the bar if I possibly could, just to kind of make myself feel a little bit better. By, by the way, underneath that attitude is pride. Let's name it. There's fear. There's also pride, actually. And the more secure we are, and know who we are, the more we're going to be okay. Challenged, for sure. Of course we are. The more we're going to be okay with. No, here's our assignment. This is an essential part of our assignment, part of our commission. The world has... Oh, we owe the world encounters with 
Jesus and with his power. How could the gospel be whole without his power? The gospel isn't all about healing, but the gospel without healing is not the whole gospel. You, won't, you have to work very hard with scripture to find that. And by the way, it's super attractive. Super, super attractive. Jesus was very attractive. Why did the bloke, why, going back to the dad, why did the dad come? He'd heard about Jesus. He didn't know much about him. He'd heard enough about him to go, this man might answer my need. There is a world out there, lonely, lost, looking for answers, searching. You know that. You know that very, very well. You rub shoulders with them every day. So do I. And there is something deeply attractive, yes, with a few caveats around it, but deeply attractive about the people of God taking on board, operating more and more fully in the power and presence of God that is our inheritance and our delight and our joy and our privilege. It's very attractive. Can you imagine churches where on a regular basis people with gambling addictions were being set free, people with pornography addictions were getting set free, People with alcohol problems were getting set free. People with broken hearts and broken minds and broken bodies. There were testimonies of God did this. Praise God, it happens. It's happened in this place. It continues to happen. But we, we want more, don't we? Of course we want more, not just in this space, across our nation. Sure, is that a wave of the Spirit of God? Of course it is. So we start on our knees. But we don't stop short. How attractive is that? Let's not pretend it otherwise. Jesus was the most attractive character who ever walked the planet. And if we're to look halfway like him, we will be attractive too as churches. Sure, there'll be bits of us that are not very attractive. But we can't lower the bar here, friends. So I'm gunning for a church like that. How about you? Church, capital C, church, small c as well. Okay, let's, let's stand together. Let's stand. Needs us, of course, to, to take heart. Needs us to take courage. Needs us to keep on praying. Needs us to keep on being available. I haven't even touched on the how. Some of us are saying, well, how do I do it? How, how, how? I'm sorry I haven't done that, but it's part of why we keep chatting. It's why, why our life groups exist. It's why we get together in groups, isn't it? How, how are we doing? How are we going with that? What does it mean to put a hand on somebody and pray for the sick? How do I do that? So let's do the how. Let's anchor that in reality. This now then is part of that moment, isn't it? It's okay. So what? So what? So what now? What for, what for tomorrow morning? What for Wednesday afternoon? Tag. <laughs> so let's be still. You might do well to ask God that question. Now what, Lord? And I'm asking, Father, that however we're responding to this in our own way, we're doing so in the context of knowing that we're loved by you. We're doing so, God, in the context that your everlasting arms surround us. You love us. Whether we choose to do anything with this or nothing, you will still love us as completely as you do now. So thank you, Lord. Would you communicate that love, I pray. Would you communicate, God? Would you enable us to experience your love again and again and again and again? Deepen it, widen it, heighten it, look, God, for us. Reassure us, God, but from that place of confidence, Lord, would you make us bold? I'm going to suggest one of two things that I think the Lord might be saying. There will, there will be others too, but my sense might be that there's some of us who just need to bring before the Lord uh, the reality that, that we're just some, we, make, we make excuses. That, that, that we where we are. We just make some excuses. And we might just want to tell the Lord about that. Please. 
be deaf in Jesus' name to the religious parrot that will want to belittle you for that. Father, enable us only to hear your voice, please. So more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you, more of you, more of you, more of you. Father, would you make us, would you take our, our, our hearts where they're stony, continue your work of, of turning them into hearts of flesh? Would you grow us in compassion? Do you grow us, God, in that attitude and mindset that sees folks that we rub shoulders with and our heart goes out as yours did? I'm called to, to pray something over us that I think is really, really important here. In the scriptures, Jesus responded to needs that came to him. And it was almost always as here, somebody desperate, somebody in need, somebody aware of their needs, somebody hungry for something. He didn't actually go to people who weren't hungry and try and force something on them. So I'm not going to over-apply that right now, but I'm going to pray, God, would you bless, bless us to be discerning? Would you help us, Lord, to be discerning? Would you show us where the hunger is? Would you show us those who are aware of their need, who are searching? Where that's a divine revelation, would you give it to us and would we have ears for it? Would you enable us, God, to discover even among those with whom we rub shoulders or just those that we come across where there is hunger? Would you help us to see it, Lord? You stepped into those places of of felt need and did something about it. God, I'm asking that you would bring across our path people with obvious and felt need who in one sense are ready to have that need touched. They may not think it's from you, God, but would you help us? Would you, get, would you bless us, Lord, to come across hungry people, searching people, needy people in the truest sense of that word? Would you bless us with compassion? Would you bless us with courage? Would you bless us with boldness? Would you bless us to keep on learning, Father? Would you bless us to fall down and be picked up, fall down and be picked up, fall down and be picked up? Would you bless us to understand that success is just obedience, not outcomes? Would you bless us to be seed scatterers, not seed withholders? And Father, this evening, would you bless us to fill our lungs with more of your Holy Spirit, to take all the confidence that you want us to have, alongside the peace that you want us to know, the strength that you want us to operate in, and to rise up as your humble, loving followers, we pray. So more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you, more of you, more of you. Oh, thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted to us a message that is even more powerful than the cure for cancer. So just give us that spirit of generosity, Father. We could not help share. Go in your name. Love in your name. Bless in your name. Pray in your, ha- in your name. Lay a hand on sick people in your name. Let it be.